Today, Chris's guest is Greg Turkington, also known as Neil Hamburger. Greg started out as the publisher of the influential zine Breakfast Without Meat, before going on to a successful comedy career based around his alter ego, Neil Hamburger. And now, here is Chris's conversation with his good friend, Greg Turkington. And here we are, uh, another edition of the Chris Kirkwood Podcast. I'm Bill Cody, I'm the producer. And I'm Chris Kirkwood, and this is my podcast, Mine and Bill's. And Craig Parker Adams is uh, running the, the soundboard, and our wonderful guest today is Greg Turkington. Hello. A.K.A. Is it okay to say? Well, the cat's out of the bag. 20 years ago. Anyway, 20 years so. ago. Sure. Okay. Say what so, you want. Neil, Neil he, he also performs as Neil Hamburger. Mm-hmm. Now it's and on me. Now it's on now you. It's on now it's now, now, now I see. I've done and, my and, part. And Chris Ready and Chris and Greg shine. are old friends, so uh, you know, yeah, this is a treat for me. Talented. Greg. It's a treat for me to have you come in and do our podcast. It's a treat for me because all the times I used to interview you, yeah, thirty years ago or whatever, when I was a fanboy kid. So it's, it's nice to. Wh- uh, when did we meet? Um, do you remember? Well, I know I first saw the Meat Puppets. Probably in 1983. 83. Uh, or maybe late 82. Right. When I was like 14, 15. That's awesome. And I would talk That's to awesome. you guys, but, you know, you weren't necessarily very interested in some annoying, <laughs> annoying little kid, you know, saying, you guys are so great. Um, so I'm sure that, you know, we talked then, but mm-hmm. um, it was maybe couple years later when I'd matured a little bit to string together more interesting sentences that that we started to uh, hang out more or have better conversations other than you guys are cool. <laughs> so we've been friends a long time. We've known each other a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I still say to this day the best concert I ever saw in my life and the thing that, that I think was maybe the most formative from my point of view in, in putting on shows was the... Uh, uh, Flipper, Meat Puppet, Sun City Girls at the Madison Square Garden in Phoenix. That awesome. was just three acts that just at that time did not give a shit about yeah. what the audience wanted and just put on all three acts, just the craziest, craziest, weirdest, most unexpected sets, you know, on this one bill. And I was used to going to these punk rock shows in Phoenix. And, you know, I like to see Black Flag or the Circle Jerks or whatever, but this show was just something completely completely different you know weren't flipper just sick they played uh for an hour and a half that night and played a total of six songs and just the anger in the crowd you know where everyone wanted songs to be faster and faster and here you're getting six songs over 90 minutes you know it was intense and they did not give a fuck you know and the song sounded so good that just heavy heavy bass as a lead instrument just And then there's just, you know, existential lyrics. I couldn't believe it. Oh, those guys bent my noodle. They, they were, you know, you were friends with them, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I've like been in contact with people from all three of those bands throughout my life, weirdly enough. But that show just, I mean, yeah, it, it who's, stuck with me. Who's still alive in Flipper? I mean, 
Um, well, you know, um, Bruce the singer is still right. alive, Ted the guitarist is still alive, and Steve the drummer is still alive. Will Shatter died in 1987. So that's it, just Will. I remember Yeah, but Will they had, away. there's been some other deaths because they replaced him with another bass player, and then uh -huh. he OD'd on heroin too. And oh, so boy. It's one of those situations where the, the bass slot is the doomed slot, you know? Yike. Yeah. There's always one doomed slot. There is, right? Yeah. Sometimes it's just doomed by poor quality. You know, right. they can't they can't get somebody who can play the instrument right. But in this case, it was something else. Although the last uh, flipper bass player, who's a, a woman, Rachel, who used to be in Frightwig, she's as healthy as it gets, you know. Good. So the curse is over. Yeah, good, 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 good. Well, I'll point out, I, I remember you as a younger, younger guy. I was a lot younger back then. And uh, when did you, Greg put out a fanzine, Breakfast Without Meat, with Lizzie, right? Mm -hmm. Your girlfriend Lizzie at the mm -hmm. time. And I, I, my memories go back to you guys as a couple, mm -hmm. mostly, you know. I mm -hmm. remember you a little bit before that, you know, sort of, but, but then definitely once Breakfast Without Meat and stuff, and you guys were like some of our pals up in the Bay Area. That was in San mm -hmm. Francisco. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because I moved up to the Bay Area when I was in high school. Um, after growing up in Tempe and Scottsdale. Did you? That's where you grew up, is yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. That's how you saw the show at the yeah. Mad Gardens. Yeah. And I would point out the Mad Gardens show that he's talking about, this was like <clears throat> this place. It was pretty novel as far as like gig, you know, places to have a gig. It was actually uh, a wrestling ring, right. right? Like that big time wrestling kind of stuff. And it wasn't big time. It was pretty low rent in a way. But the, the bands actually played in the wrestling ring. And they had like a chain link. Yeah, they had a chain link fence to stop, I oh, think, nice. the wrestlers from throwing each other out of the ring and into the audience or something. And it made for, you know, and, and uh, there was this guy, Tony Victor, who uh -huh. was uh, around back then. And he was the one that was putting on the shows at that place. And Tony went on to like work with JFA and that stuff. And, and there was a vibrant, interesting music scene going on in Phoenix at the time. You know, it was like when punk rock was like... Uh, now, the way I took it, at least, you know, it was just kind of this blanket, you know, name mm -hmm. to, you know, put over all these different kinds of bands. But there were so many different kinds of stuff going on, you know, in a way. A lot of, like, Phoenix had really, I think, the cream of the crop of, like, art art bands, weird Re uh, artsy strangely, bands. Strangely, strangely arty, you yeah. know, you know? Yeah. and uh, I've wondered about that at the time. And then some really good, straightforward punk rock, like the Consumers, mm -hmm. you know, that was kind of straightforward-ish, you know. And, but, I mean, it kind of goes back to, like, Alice Cooper, mm -hmm. in a way, you know. Or the Tubes were from Phoenix, The too. Tubes were originally from there and moved up to the Bay Area, yeah. but the guys were all from there. Yeah, and, you know, I know, something about it, maybe it's just that plasticine side of fucking everything. I don't know. It's just, like, an odd kind of a place to have a city. Yeah, it is. You know, it's out in the middle of the... And you still live there? I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah I still live in Phoenix. And Kurt moved out, you know, a while yeah. ago. I knew you know, he was in Austin. He's been in Austin for quite a while now. He moved out here originally, you know, mm -hmm. after the first time he moved. I don't know, we just, like, uh, once the band got going, you know, we were traveling around a lot and seeing different parts of the country and stuff, and it just never managed to really get out of the place, mm -hmm. you, know? you know. So I know all the streets by heart, mostly, <laughs> in my way around there. But some of the stuff that was going on back then was definitely cool, you know. It was great. I mean, for me, you know, as a, as a kid that was not didn't really fit in or whatever, as with probably a lot of your guests. Um, you know, we were we lived very close to the ASU campus, and I would mm -hmm. just go down there and 
go into the library and just research anything I was interested in. And you had the Valley Art Theater that would show yeah. weird art films and things. Yeah. And then when the punk rock stuff came out, you know, all the bands from Los Angeles would come to Phoenix because it was a short trip, you know. So it's you on get the way. To see, yeah. yeah, you get to see like the prime bands, you know. Yeah. And then, yeah, Tony Victor was putting on those shows at, at Madison Square Garden, which was, you know, $5 a show or whatever. Right. And there'd be like tons of good groups all sorts out. of cool stuff that came through there it was really it was really great and before tony even started doing that you know like the level of punk rock that i got into it it got into or whatever in phoenix was the hate house remember the hate house i was too young for that but you were too young for that yeah and that was like uh that was more you know we were like second third generation whatever of like stuff that was actually influenced by the punk thing because it was definitely the punk rock that got me like playing you know mm -hmm. what i mean like sh doing shows and stuff you mm -hmm. know I, I liked playing and whatnot but it was it was suddenly there that, you know punk rock allowed for somebody like me who's not like i didn't wasn't gonna try to you know especially in the 70s you know it's just like it just wasn't my thing to be like a like a rock and roller or whatever right you know? but the punk rock thing kind of happened and and it was just so undiluted in a way it was such a small little scene and yet so fervent you know and the hate house was far out i mean that was like some very arty, strange shit, you know? It was, like, down on, uh, you know, Palm and, like, 3rd Street in mm -hmm, Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And it was in one of those old kind of bigger houses that Phoenix had back then. You know, it's, you know, and the building itself is gone now. And uh, it would have been, like, this kind of revolving place, you know, whoever could come up with the rent kind of right. kind of a thing, you know? It was probably $200 a month. It was definitely, you know, not that expensive. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's ultimately how it wound up falling out of the the hands of the, you know, of the of the freaks and whatever. Somebody, like, stayed there or something. They got invited to stay there and realized that, you know, it was just, like, a tenuous grasp on this place or whatever that people right. had, you know. So they actually went to the landlords and it wound up, you know, getting taken over by those people. But it was just arty as hell, you know, and, and like, getting exposed to that. I mean, I got exposed to it through Derek, you mm -hmm. know, a, a lot. You know, mm -hmm. just the, the underground side of stuff, you know. Definitely, he was a little more turned on to that kind of, you know, what was going on with, like, the seven inches and stuff like that. Right, you know? yeah. And I know there's just something about Phoenix, like, being out in the middle of nowhere like that in a way. And yet, you know, it's it's not completely out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it is, but there's some, I don't know, some there's enough, like, input to be able to not be completely out of it and yet still, you know, be isolated enough or something. So some, and some that cool stuff came out of there. too. I don't know. I always feel like in in places that are hot, that there's more aggressive, angry, shitty people to deal with. You know. You know. And so you kind yeah. of you're kind of like if you're not like that, right. you're having to deal with those people all the time, and it sort of makes you want to do something else or get away from them. You know. And there's something about it that like uh, it's one of the such a new city in a way. Mm -hmm. You know that like. I don't know, it's kind of like the drain or something, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like like people wind up there, like a lot of people from the Midwest, you know, you just get it's this... so cheap, too. This air of desperation. You but know? even still, it seems like I remember just when I was a kid, and, it was, you know, they, there were, like, you get apartments and things for, like, $195 a right. month and stuff. It seemed like a lot of people would move out there just for that. Yeah. Yeah, and just, I don't know, and to get away from the snow, you know, I mean, look at mm -hmm. how much it's, look at how much it's grown now, you, you know, you, you've been back there recently, oh, yeah. and uh, it's just incredible how much it's grown, you know, and I think it's changed it from what it was back, like, you know, definitely like when we were, we moved there in the mid-60s, you know, mom and Kurt and I, 
Well, all the buildings that were cool and stuff, they just yeah. obliterate them. They do a lot of that here, too, but they definitely did a lot of it there. De yeah, you know, just this no sense of, like, a, like the commu you know, community spirit or whatever. Or, just, or like, cool like things like the Cine Capri Theater. Right, you know, that's which is gone. Like, that was so badass. Gone. But, like, the Los Arcos Mall, I, we used to right. hang out there when I was a kid. I just want, you know, nothing to do. And, you know, they just... Destroyed it, it and yeah. it sat empty for years over some dispute. I don't know what the politics were of it, but they probably raised it prematurely, you know. Yeah. Now there's some something there, some uh, university building Adjunct. or something. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. And you know, and look at look at how the place has changed now. Like that, like it was odd seeing Phoenix and Arizona turn into like such a redneck place or whatever, mm -hmm. you know. Not even redneck. I mean, like just far right, you know. Mm -hmm. And maybe it was somewhat always that way you know but for it to have, like risen to the fore and, and like these you know knuckle-headed sort of like you know outlook or whatever i don't know that was an odd one as well you know to yeah. see the place change in the way that it has i mean it always was republican but it was a different kind of republican than you have now you know yeah well the republican party was probably it was a lot different than it yeah the barry goldwater now. scene yeah. was very different than the i just remember when i was in you know fifth grade or whatever and it, like jimmy carter was running against uh you know uh ronald reagan right and just the, the informal poll in the classroom it was like you know asking whatever sixth graders or you know who, who who do you want and i was like carter you know and all the other kids were reagan you know yeah and uh all right same with like the ford thing before you know right just it just wasn't it wasn't very balanced yeah odd that way i think part of it is you know it's also a big retirement community mm -hmm. you know so i think that plays a part in it as well you know people with enough money to be able to comfortably retire someplace and they're of an older generation or some crap you know but um the thing that i think led to some cool bands being you know happening back then one was punk rock allowing you know people that weren't going to be like typical rock and roll bands in a way you know, but then it being a smaller city back then and, you know, the isolation somewhat, not isolation, you know, but just that like fucking little, you know, uh, hot zone or whatever, you know, and mm -hmm. just something about that allowed it to spit out some really interesting stuff, you know, that it's now looking back, just like Jesus, like the Sun City girls, you know, those guys were so far out. You know? I just have so many friends, too, that I didn't necessarily know when I was there, but people like Don Bowles, right. you know, who was who I see all the time here right. in town, but he's a Phoenix guy or totally. Prairie Prince from the tubes. Plays, you know Prairie? Yeah. He plays drums for my, uh, Neil Hamburger country <laughs> band. He's, he's wow. like my drummer and he's just like the best, sweetest Such and the best drummer. fucking drummer of oh. all time. Man, uh, and, uh, and he, and he fucking plays in my band. It's ridiculous, wow. but you know, wow. he's a Phoenix guy too. Yeah, and, totally. and, and, you know, and then like the Bishop brothers yeah. and, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I went and saw the tubes in like uh, 76 maybe, mm -hmm. maybe 77 or something. And I waited till mom fell asleep, right? So I could take her car. And it was at the Celebrity <laughs> Theater, right? Uh -huh. This is a theater, it's, it's been there probably late 60s or something when they built it. And it's a it's a theater in the round, it's actually a round stage and it rotates. Is it still rotates. there, is it operational? Yeah, it still is, yeah. yeah. And they still have shows in there and stuff. So I went down to see the, uh, the tubes and I had recently gotten into psychedelics, you know, mm -hmm. so. I went alone, you know, and, and I dropped, right? So, like, and opening the show, this is, like, even 
you know, before the Phoenix had started to get, before the punk rock really kind of happened, was this band Loosely Tight, right? Mm -hmm. Which is another couple of brothers, you know, cool name, Loosely Tight, you know, and they opened the show. (laughs) Then the tubes came out, and I was fucking hammered, and I ran into a friend of Kurt's from high school and wound up getting more stoned on some other different things, you know what I mean? So I was like good and stoned, and about halfway through the, the tube set, I realized I'd lost mom's car keys. Right? <laughs> so I kept going like into this place where I was real stoned and like going, oh man, the tubes are just blowing my mind, right? To then like that thought would lead around to, but oh, I fucking lost the car keys, right? You know? <laughs> and I never did find them that night. I wound up having to like thumb home in the middle of the fucking uh. night, you know? And the next day I'd left my phone number or some shit and wound up getting my fucking, my, uh, the keys back and the rescuing well, the car. If it makes you feel any better, I've lost car keys without ever having done anything more than drunk a cup of water beforehand. You know? No, that water will get to you. Yeah, it's true. Well, that, you know, it was that, that experience made it to where I like, you know, broke myself of the habit of losing the car keys, you know, so. <laughs> so then when did you move to San Francisco? I moved there, geez, I guess in summer of 83. Something like that. And you just went up alone? I was, my parents had gotten divorced years before. My dad was living down here, and then he moved up to San Francisco for work over the summer. And I was so into Flipper and so sick of Phoenix. And I just, I just was like, Mom, I'm going to move with, to live with Dad, you know? And so I went to the last couple years of high school in San Francisco. And, and it was, um, it was as different as night and day, you know, oh, like, yeah. because in, in it's weird. When, in Tempe, like I went to Tempe High, I actually liked going to school. I would get, you know, I was a straight A student and stuff. I moved to San Francisco and the school was so shitty. Like it was just unpleasant, was terrible it in the city? place. It was in the city, but it was just like they, it was over full and they didn't really care. And it was just like being babysat for six hours a day. You mm-hmm. know, it was kind of like, here's your easy assignment. You've got a week to finish it. <laughs> And then you just sit there. And so I just stopped going and just started going to these punk rock shows seven nights a week. And I started singing in bands and started the fanzine. And then I started working at Subterranean Records. And I just had this huge life that I developed really fast of of just doing stuff. Whereas when I lived in Tempe, you know, I was watching a lot of TV, maybe reading a lot of books. But but the punk rock, like in, in San Francisco, actually got to be more of a part of it. And I just kind of built my own little empire really fast there you know and i was like popular all of a sudden whereas in tempe i was like the person to beat up you know (laughs) there i move out there and it's like yeah you want to sing for my band you want to do this you know like just shit started happening it was crazy it was really i was like 16 17 you know it was just all it all went down there's a lot of good punk rock going on up there there was at the time you know the weird thing is is as much as i i loved moving there and as much as it like I mean, I was like the sort of person that couldn't give a, an oral book report in school without dreading it for months in advance. And then when I'd get up, I would just shake and stammer. And, and like I couldn't, like I, I would get nervous raising my hand during roll call, you know, and saying here, like I would be stressing about that. And I got up there and, and just something about it just suddenly I'm like fucking going on stage and singing with, I mean, maybe some of it was, was that, you know, I was drinking peppermint schnapps, and <laughs> maybe that was some of the confidence. I don't know what it was, but it just changed everything, the whole punk rock thing. But really, though, that was kind of the tail end, I think, of a great period in San Francisco with great bands and great things going on. And then it all sort of dried up, and um, 
the city kind of started going down the drain. Um, I know in 1984 they had the Democratic convention there, and mm -hmm. Feinstein, who was mayor at the time, didn't want the uh, all these little punk rock clubs on on Broadway right. to uh, scare away the delegates that might be down there looking for strip clubs and prostitutes and things. So <laughs> they started cracking down on those clubs and. Clubs that used to have a real loose attitude about kids going in, yeah. suddenly they're checking IDs, and some of the clubs started disappearing. And there's just like this weird crackdown. And I think after that, it wasn't really quite the same, you know. So you stayed, but you were still up there. Yeah, yeah, I stayed up there until about 1989. All right. Yeah. And then you move here. Then I moved to New Mexico for a couple of years, and then I moved back to the Bay Area in '91. So when now, when we first started hanging out, you know, when I, you know, got to know you, you were going out with Lizzie at the time, mm -hmm. and then like the fanzine, I remember the fanzine, and like I remember a couple of the interviews Derek did that you guys ran, like yeah, because Derek, you know, Derek was like an interview subject, but but we just just loved his point of view and loved his yeah. art and everything, and eventually he became like a co-editor for us, you know, and was right. running. He, interviewing people like Hal Blaine and Tiny Tim and we were getting totally away from the punk rock bands and you know interviewing Jimmy Webb and and Pete Townsend and people like this you know and, right. and but then always with like a core love for Meat Puppets and Flipper Sun City Girls you know like right. all those things were still real touchstones you know I remember in that that Tiny Tim interview Tim refers to Derek through the whole thing as Mr. Bostrom mm -hmm. you know and it was all about like like Slavic uh, folk music mostly or kind of stuff, the stuff that, you know, the guy was actually really versed in, you know, Eastern European kind of music as opposed to him as this oddity, you know, Miss Vicky right. getting married. That's the guy, Tiny Tim, for those of you who are dinging on that, his big hit was Tiptoe Through the Tulips, right? You know? mm -hmm. And are you old enough to remember when he got married on The Tonight Show? Well, I'm old enough to have read about it. Okay, yeah, yeah. I remember that when that was... happened. It was like before MASH, like one. Of, I think it was like one of the biggest, hugely watched. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, it was, was like like when they walked on the moon or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like except there were like the the Beatles playing, the, you know, Tiny Tim's wedding. And it should be. I mean, that was a, a great time where Tiny Tim could draw that kind of viewership because he's a really really talented guy. You know, not at all a novelty act. No, no, not to my way of thinking. And like, you no, know, Derek knew that. And that's what the interview was about, you know, it went in a different direction or just the direction that, you know, Derek was aware of to be able to take it into the realm of like where the guy was coming from and the, you know, his, his roots music and stuff. So then I, another thing I remember, you know, one of the things you started doing already, I mean, you're somebody up in the Bay Area, right? And that's mm -hmm. a far out town. It was a far mm -hmm. out town back then, you know, had just great times up there. And so that already, you like, you like could handle being living there, you know what I mean? So that kind of sets you in a particular place in a way. But then you started doing comedy stuff. It wasn't like specifically comedy stuff. It wasn't like you were like, you know, I'm now a comedian or anything. Mm -hmm. But it was just an extension of your personality as I saw it. And you started like, like we got some of those cassettes that you did back then, mm -hmm. like the crank phone call stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that stuff has stuck with me since. Like uh, Greg would do these it predated like the, the like crank phone calls became popular and they actually like sort of had some TV shows. We were talking about that. Oh, earlier yeah, there's actually the a Jerky Sisters. Boys movie, Jerky Boys movie, and yeah. the, with Tom Jones in it. <laughs> so, directed and, by a friend of mine. I oh, think really? That's, that was his second and last movie. If I, remember I like right. the movie, it's not bad. Yeah, 
It just I think I think they they put a lot more money in that movie than you would think they probably should have. Yeah. Well, and like you didn't invent crank phone calls, of course. You know that's no, been around no, for no. since phones started happening and stuff. But I mean, for, to actually take the time to get them on cassette, you right. know, and then share them with people, and uh, there was some great stuff on there. Right? The one where you call those people and you're like, "Oh, happy day!" Remember that? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I if don't you remember, remember that. that. The premise: you're calling from like a a. a, a Korean adoption agency, uh-huh. and you call these. I've heard you said this one. Now. I love that one. That's just amazing stuff. I don't, you know, know. You... I don't even know if that's me. I don't know. It doesn't ring a bell. It was you. It was on the same tape with all the other stuff. Definitely, right. where you call the place and you tell them you're a fat man and you want to order a yeah, pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's me. Yeah, that's so it was me. on that same tape. Okay, it was on the same tape. Well, anyone can make a tape. That's true. I don't know if that's me. I don't really? Know about, oh, happy day. I mean, it sounds great. Maybe it is, but I don't remember it. I, I thought, you know, I mean, well, it, it, you know. It, it was funny, so take credit for it. Yeah. I don't want to take credit for I don't know where else I could have gotten it. We could ask Kurt. You know who would remember it specifically? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but I think, you know, I, 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 as I remember it, you know, you call these people up and tell them that, that they're adopt, you know, their me child or that someone they're adopting. Calls them so you or someone did. <laughs> And, uh, and the guy, like, <laughs> loses his temper, you know, saying, don't uh-huh. you bring any, you know, slant-eyed kids over here or something like yeah, that. Yeah, now this know? is not me. I swear I've heard this now that now that right. you go into it more, but I don't think that was, I mean, I know that wasn't me. Wow, far out. Who the hell could that have been? No. But it was on a tape with these other, I thought it, I, it, you know. I mean, I did a lot of them, too, because I did that record, Great Phone Calls, around 1991, but before that. Yeah, this is way before five that. Five years before that, I was just shitting out <laughs> crank call yeah. cassettes, like, yeah. you know. Like crazy and sending them to Derek and stuff and I mean I don't I don't even have any of those tapes I don't really know what's on them I would be or surprised what, what was going on Derek might still have that stuff he's got a lot he's got a good archive him. he does he's got all sorts of stuff um, the other one that I love is you answer an ad in the paper remember that one where you call know. up the guy and tell him you're going to be his bass player. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the guy gets so miffed at you that he offers to meet you someplace in the city so that you can duke it out. Yeah. And uh, I remember you said, "I'll play bass licks on your grave." <laughs> you know, just See, you know. And that that track me. that was funny because that you know that ended up on the record that we did, but um, that got sampled by at least a couple different major label artists. You know, where I ended up really? getting getting a, a payday you know where there's just wow. sampling you know me singing i'm on fire or whatever you know i but it, i'll play basics on your grave these kind of phrases right. over there's a, a british act called sunny J that sampled it uh-huh. on an album for and you like, got emi for yeah I got paid um mm-hmm. for the and, you know they did something cool with it and then mm-hmm. there was a japanese group that uh grand royal put out called um uh, Buffalo Daughter that also sampled one of these calls and wow, yeah, that's the that's the dream thing to get is a phone call. Somebody wants to sample something of yours, you know. Right. It's just uh, sure, yeah, okay. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean it's weird, like because I thought that that was like, you know, our own special little thing or something in a way, you know. And then mm-hmm. they're seeing you, like, to survive. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So many people didn't in a way. And yet the ne- to go on to what you've gone on to, you know? I mean, it is weird. It's fucking cool, I think. Well, it's weird because Neil Hamburger, the, the character Neil Hamburger was just a character in one of those prank phone calls. Okay. And and it was, you know, when I would make those calls, I often didn't have a plan. It's just you're doing a ton of them. You're, you know, it's really excitable. And you're just dialing numbers and just whatever the fuck comes out of your mouth. And so I, I was like, oh, here's a comedy club. Let's call the comedy club. And I called up and I was like, yeah, my name's Neil Hamburger. You know, book me or whatever. And um, 
the, the I did a couple of these calls like this, and the, and they were popular prank phone calls in the in the popular prank phone call world. Right. <laughs> and um, then this other label, this little record label back east, said we really like that Neil Hamburger stuff. Would you do a, a couple more of these Neil Hamburger calls for this compilation we're doing? And I said, sure, you know, why not? That's great. But then when it came time to submit it, I thought what would be funnier is to submit a recording of what this guy's stand-up show was like. So <laughs> I did that on a four-track and recorded the audience sounds and, and, and did like the show of what this guy's show would be like. And I enjoyed doing that so much that from then on, I, st I started doing more of these and culminating in a full LP of a faked show and so on and so forth until finally I started getting offers for shows. And then, awesome. and then have this whole career based on it. But it really was, it really had its entire roots are in this prank phone call. Wow, which Wait, so, is like a very weird career trajectory. Uh, wow. When did the yeah. uh, like when did that LP come out? You know, nineteen ninety two. Okay. Yeah, and I started. I mean, I think maybe like two or three Neil Hamburger singles of the of the fake stage show with the fake audience sounds. And then Drag City Records got in touch with me and wanted to do an LP of this shit, you know? And I thought, wow, you know, <laughs> to make a comedy album, I'm going to really put everything I have into this and every idea I can possibly come up with. And so I really worked hard on this Neil Hamburger album and, you know, it, it came out the way I wanted it. And then they asked for another, you know, and then, <laughs> and then the show offers started to come in. And I think I had four albums out before I did a single show. Because I just looked at it as a weird recording project, as a fun, you know, almost like a, there's a lot of like Foley involved, you know, I would record ice clinking or ice clinking in the glasses. Right. So, and, so you did the albums before you did a show. Yeah. Wow. There were three, three albums, maybe four, at least three. Had you come up with like the look of the guy by that point? Well, there was a drawing. We, I would put drawings on the covers, and and that was part of it. Was that in my mind, this guy's a lot older than me, uh -huh. and it's just you know, it's like I can't look like this. But um, you know, time catches up. And eventually, right. I could <laughs> I could look like that. You know, <laughs> I mean, and it's amazing too what you know glasses and a suit will do. I mean, right. as Superman proved, you know, the difference between Clark Kent and, and Superman really is just like glasses, <laughs> hair slicked back and some glasses. And this is a variation of that, you know, the hair slicked to the side and glasses. And kind of greasy. Yeah. And tuxedo instead of the cape or whatever. But, uh, so were you into comedians? I mean, is that like, what I you know? like, I think Derek and I really shared this. I was really into National Lampoon. Mm -hmm. I was really into humor stuff. I was really into funny stuff. I liked the Steve Martin records when I was growing up. I was really into Albert Brooks, right? Um, his movies and his comedy albums and things. Um, I think, uh, and I was I really liked Richard Pryor. I think when I got into the uh, Andrew Dice Clay scene, like I that that was very inspirational to me especially the album um, the day the the laughter died uh -huh. in which dice goes out to a an audience in a small club and it's just like i'm not going to do any material tonight and just kind of rambles and fucks with people and it's this double album with no jokes on it right and it's it's such a bummer but to me it was the funniest comedy album i'd ever heard you know because there are no no real jokes but it's it's just 
and it's a character too you know the dice is a character and he's he's doing this he's so committed to it that you know everyone hated him so that's um, a character so that's 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 just a character right. i mean he's, he's an actor yeah. you know but anyway but that record really inspired me because of you know the combination of the 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 punk rock stuff, the lessons that could be learned from that, the interest I have in traditional showbiz guys, and you know whether it be Richard Harris or Frank Sinatra or whatever, and then this this dice thing, all that stuff kind of comes together in, in a way for me at some point and um, helps uh, you know be the blueprint for some of the the stuff that I got into doing. And there was that you know there's like a, I mean that's like one element of co comedy you know that like some people have really mined well like i think of like don rickles mm -hmm. you know and that guy was so stood out so much like gets back to like the tonight show and stuff you know <laughs> when i became sentient was somewhat somewhere in the mid 60s you know became aware of stuff and that guy was just so sharp-witted and the whole thing was based on like rubbing people the wrong way kind of i mean and it's essentially a character i mean he's like the nicest guy in the world if you talk to anyone that knows him or has right. has had dealings with him and on stage he's the biggest dick <laughs> it's incredible whoever fucking lived you know right um i always like those kind of guys though more than you know uh comedians that go up and talk like <laughs> from the heart right. about their lives or whatever i'm not really that interested in that you know i want to i want a show i want someone to put on a fucking show you know. And, or, you know, like take advantage of the, the fact of humor to be something that's fucking trippy, you know? Like I remember the first time I saw Andy Kaufman, mm -hmm. you know, it was like, what the fuck? Yeah, exactly. Like that My Breakfast with Blassie was just... Oh, that right. is so good. I watched that so many times. I was obsessed with that. Uh, it's, it's one of the... Anybody who hasn't seen My Breakfast with Blassie really should. And uh, That's my favorite thing that he did. When I first moved down here, we lived next to the. Is it a Sambo's that they're at? Yeah, but it's it's, it's out. It on used now. to be. A, it it was on. Um, I think it was on Vermont. Yeah, wasn't Vermont it? Yeah. and like, kind of near Wilshire. It's yeah. at Denny's now. Yeah, well, we lived at Third and Alexandria, and we were mm -hmm. like so excited that they filmed. Like, <laughs> I'm still excited when I drive down Vermont and see that place. You know, even though it's not a Sambo's anymore. Yeah, it's something else now. There's a great website um, that anyone can find from this guy who was a photographer for Sambo's and he was given an assignment to go around a certain year and photograph the interior and exterior of every single Sambo's location for the corporate office to use for right. something and he did and then you know I don't know what happened the photos didn't get used or whatever and of course Sambo's went out of business and so this guy started this website and he just got all the photos on there and he'll he'll sell prints of any of them, and they're just such beautiful buildings and wow. such interesting interiors. Uh, Sambos, remember when they were called Little Black Sambos? The restaurant? I don't yeah. know if the restaurant was called that. Yeah, wasn't it? I, I mean, there was a children's book called that. Well, that's what I think that's why they use it because the guy like ties the tiger's tails yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they run and run until they turn into butter, so the melted butter on the. <laughs> yeah, it's a I classic. Think the restaurant tales. was called Little Black Sambos, no? but they did have. They used to have cartoons, oh, that's yeah, what it was, like, or and then they changed those. Something like that. Cartoons. One of those things kind of lightened him. They I mean, did have to change something. I remember he was that. Indian. That, in was the, he Indian? In the original story. Yeah, it's an Indian thing, you know, because they're tigers, right? So it's right, like right. India, you know. And they turn into pancakes. Well, they, they no, they, they they turn into butter. Oh, okay. He like ties their tails together. Well, you need together. that for pancakes, right? You're right, and then it's melted butter because they he ties their tails together and they run and run and run in a circle like a several tigers to the degree that they turn into like molten butter. I wonder if you could still do that, like 
get yeah. like four tigers oh, yeah. together. Oh yeah, yeah, you yeah. can do that any day of the oh, week. Yeah. Yeah. Pop out. We'll do it later. Yeah. Okay. Go down to the zoo. There's a Sambo still in Santa Barbara, by the way, that has there's, all that shit. There's an actual Sambo? Yeah. It's the original one, and it's still there. Uh, wow. I mean, I wouldn't eat there, but I'd go in and look at the place, <laughs> buy souvenirs. Wow. So, hmm. like, uh, now, you've been doing this professionally now, right? Yeah, yeah. For a while. Yeah. Right? And, I mean, people get it, right? Well, you know, it's not for everyone. Well, I mean, the people that come to the shows, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, well, I mean, you know, if I play a show in New York City or Boston or Austin or Portland or something, I'm going to have a very enthusiastic, positive crowd. If I do a show, you know, in uh, Sioux Falls, you know, there could be some some folks that aren't too satisfied with, with the show, you know. <laughs> but, you know, there'll still be plenty that are. It's, right. it's just a lot depends on how these things are promoted. Right. You know, if it ends up in the daily paper and, and somebody's like, you know, comedy night at the so-and-such place and somebody's never doesn't hurt, hasn't heard of me but wants to go to a comedy show, ends up there, then you could have some surliness or some apathy or whatever. Has surliness happened? Have you... Oh, yeah. God. Or, yeah, I mean, I got every surly tale in the book. I mean, I got, I had somebody um, jump on the stage and attack me. I've had, uh, you know, I, when I was touring with Tenacious D, every night was just, it was half an hour set. Every night was just a wall of booing for the, you know, for the half hour. That's awesome. And it was, it, you know, like Madison Square Garden, That you know, to me, this was a pinnacle <laughs> really one of the pinnacles of my life was opening for them there and having the entire crowd chant asshole asshole That's asshole awesome. during the whole set you know wow. and I, i'm yeah. just up there looking around thinking yeah perfect okay whatever no, dude, yeah, I'm, I'm on stage at madison square garden you can't take this away and from it's me perfect too. you guys are out there acting like a big mob of dumbasses you know it's perfect for the character yeah anyway, it was you know? fine it was like, great it was beautiful it was fun you know because people would say oh my god that must really crush you after a while and you know no, no it's, it's, you're a character it's, it's cool <laughs> because jack and kyle are on the side of the stage laughing i can see them and, right. the, and those are the guys that that i'm concerned with what they think and you know what I mean? A bunch of guys in the audience that don't, that, you know, because uh, like, they would start booing before I'd even start talking. You know, they, they're there to see a headliner. You know what it's like. It oh, doesn't right. matter what you're doing. If yeah. you're the opener, they already hate you. But then when you're the opener and you come out in a tuxedo and look like you're 60 years old and start off telling some just joke that is uh, on a subject <laughs> that they don't know or care about, you know, it's just all the strikes are against you and they're going to they're going to lash out. But then also like doing as many shows as, as I've done like this, you learn interesting crowd control techniques, which can be um, like I could, by the end I could silence them. I could get them to applaud for me. I could get them to do different things because I'd start bargaining with them. If you guys do this, this will be the last joke I tell and I'll bring out tenacious D, you know, as if I would have the power to, yeah, to just, and, but they would believe it, you know, and then I'd fuck with them for a long time and then they'd get angry and then I'd do it again. All right, all right, no kidding around. You want me to bring out Tenacious D? It's awesome. And <laughs> they go crazy. And I'm like, all right, I just need you to applaud for this next joke, or, you know, this kind of stuff. And it was weird. It was just, it would work every night, these, these tricks, once I figured them out, you know, after a few of these grim shows. Eventually in um, London, uh, it, it came to a head 
um, kind of at the end of the tour, but uh, people were throwing those coins, you know, over there, those two oh, yeah. pence coins. Those are big. They're, fuck, they're like they're like the old silver dollars here, you know, but they're, right. they're not worth anything. They're worth two pence or, you know, three cents or whatever, three and a half cents. And they, they just would, they're happy to throw those at you. And we were doing a show at the Hammersmith, which is smaller than most of the venues that, that we were playing on that run. And so it was easier for people to hit hit you with this. Because right. if you're playing a big 10,000-seat you know, basketball arena or whatever, there's such a big barrier. Right. If somebody throws something, you, you really can see arm. it. You see it coming. You've got time to move. It's fine. you know. But at a smaller place like this... There's no hiding, and so people were fucking throwing these things, and they're bouncing off my head, and they're just, you know, it was getting kind of harrowing, and my wife was in the audience, and she she was freaking out seeing this happen, and these, these guys in front, of, uh, in front of her threw a coin, and it hit me, and then I don't know if they high-fived each other or whatever, but they were excited, and she just lost it and grabbed the guy. And it's like, don't you hit my husband. You know, don't you throw shit at my husband. And it just punched him in the face a couple times. And, you know, that was that was the way that that was the really the end of the tour. And that was a great way to go out, you know. And she came backstage just shaking because she'd never hit anyone in her life. And she just lost it because it had been building up to this. Right. She was going to all these shows in England and these coins were being thrown. And there's just this negative response and it didn't necessarily get to me but after 30 days of it when they start throwing things on top of everything else then right. it does start to get to you a bit just in terms of is this dangerous you know yeah. <laughs> lose a fucking eye you know yeah and so this being the smallest venue of all it, it just it, everything be, came to a head and i mean it's it's an it's an interesting like point to get to in a way you know where that's almost the intent of the character in some ways, I'm reminded of like when, uh, I mean, it's the intent, but you don't want to get hurt, you know? No, Not like no. for real hurt. No. You know? Well, it's weird. I feel like when you're talking, it's weird how much more angry they'll get. I mean, if, if those guys had just brought the shittiest band in L.A., you know, out on the, the road, probably people would boo or maybe talk during it, but I don't think you'd get this kind of venom. And I admit I'm baiting them a lot of the time, you know, but... <laughs> But just, yeah, the, the and also people, I think, go off of the cues of the people around them. Like, I, I always maintain 25% of the crowd really likes this. 25% mm -hmm. really hates it. The people that like it are sitting in their chair next to each other going, can you believe this? This is fucking amazing. Like, you know, they're not necessarily saying anything. They're laughing. They're into it, you know. But the people that hate it are standing up, fuck you, you suck, you fucking, all this shit. And so the 50% that don't know what to think, they're going to follow the cues, I think, of the, the, louder, <laughs> the louder ones. Squeak your wheel. Because when, when my wife hit the guy in the face and all this, and it was like, don't you hit my husband and stuff, he apologized right away, and he was like, I'm sorry. No, he actually had some pretty good jokes, you know, it's just like... You're just, you're just, it's just mob mentality. I mean, it's the same thing that happens at these fucking sports events, but you, you know, there's a real ugliness when there's a mob, a lynch mob. They see this opportunity, like, fuck this guy, let's all unite in our total hatred. And, you know. It, it says something pretty creepy about people in a way. I mean, considering that the character is a, an elderly kind of a guy. I know. You know well, what I mean? That they're willing to be so, 
inconsiderate, now downright hostile. Naturally. You want to know the worst, even worse than this. And also, I consider Tenacious D to have like some of the more intelligent fans that there are. Yeah. So the fact that it was happening at their shows was bizarre. Like yeah, I, I actually thought, like, well, these guys are characters. Their act is character-based comedy, and and they, you know, they, they I had a cameo in their movie, and I kind of just thought, you know, but I was wrong. But I, I did these shows in Australia with uh, this punk group there called Frenzel Rom, who actually offered me the first ever Neil Hamburger shows. When it was just a recording project, they, they said, we want you to open for us. And I said, I don't do that. I just do uh, records, you know. But they kept working, working on it and eventually said, all right, all right, I'll, I'll do it. I'll try it. I'll see what happens. I'll give it a try. So I go out there to Australia and I'm doing these shows with these guys who are super, super... Uh, popular punk band over there and we got to Perth and uh, we were doing two shows in Perth one in Perth and then one in a suburb of Perth called Scarborough which was I don't know seemed like maybe a half hour away and the Perth show was so scary with people throwing fucking Jack Daniels bottles and just all this shit raining down on me so the next night because we were still in the general area I was I was really scared right. and and I went and rented a wheelchair from a, a like a pharmacy in the neighborhood near the venue, and I had the uh, Frenzel's roadies wheel me out onto the stage to start my set, and I took the microphone and I said, "Hey, uh, I'm here from America through the Make a Wish Foundation. I have terminal cancer, and I'm I'm only going to be alive for six more months. And thanks to the Make a Wish Foundation, I'm getting to live my dream, which is to do stand-up comedy." in Australia. So thank you all for your patience. <laughs> and so, and so everyone's like, Oh, okay. You know, and I'm telling these horrific offensive fucking jokes and everyone's looking around at each other. You know, they can't, they can't quite tell if this is for real or not. And then after about 15 minutes, I'm getting near the end of the set and, and everybody's just been patient believing this, this story. And then at the end, I've got maybe two jokes to go. Somebody fucking throws a glass at me anyway, even though I'm in a wheelchair. In a wheelchair. Yeah. And then a couple more people start throwing shit. And then I jumped up out of the chair and grabbed the mic and it's like, fuck you assholes, I can walk, you know? And then I ran off the stage in a fucking shower of shit thrown. But Damn. anyway, the point was that, yeah, even in the wheelchair, there was no immunity to that sort of mentality. You know, wow. opening, opening is... It can be bad, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad. I'm like, I don't do that much of it anymore. Right. Because it's, I think I proved my point, basically. <laughs> I'm know? reminded of uh, the uh, Kaufman bit where he did the wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, God. The, and the, the baiting of those people in Memphis. Oh. You know? You, you seen that? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've eaten up everything that Andy Kaufman did. But, right. you know, it's it's... It's it's interesting because you know that kind of did kill his career, in some ways. That so and then also physically dying also, which happened well, that, soon, that soon that after does, that. But yeah, you know, no, but he was he was struggling at the time. Well, uh, it was just so it was just such a conceptual thing, and he was totally committed to it. And right. some of these other things, you know, people could get their heads around, and this just seemed to exhaust people. Well, and, he was, and it was so deep. I mean, it was such a like a like a deep con or whatever you know i mean like when they went on like what was it letterman and the dude like slapped him yeah yeah, yeah. you know and, and that was fake though wasn't it i mean that was yeah no, it was, <laughs> hear, it was hear different fake. stories but and but well, you, i mean it's so deep that you still hear different stories you know yeah, it's like yeah, was it, yeah. was well, it actually i think it's kind of like actual pro wrestling you don't want to 
like I actually used to go to pro wrestling back in the 80s with my friends and you would find that you know because a lot of people go like well how can they believe this but you'd go down there and the, the people knew that it was fake but you can't it's like watching a stage play right if you don't like give into the stage play you're not going to enjoy it right and if you don't give into the, the play that is the wrestling you know the suspension of disbelief right exactly so but, but i mean it was never what go ahead, i'm sorry oh, i mean I, go ahead i'm sorry well, I mean, it was, I don't know, Kaufman, it seemed like that was his intent, you know? I mean, to actually, mm-hmm. you know, he's actually wrestling those women. And <laughs> they seem, they didn't seem like part of the act, you know? That actually seemed like audience members that were coming I think, up. And, I think those were just audience members, yeah, you know? that so, he was fucking with. Taking it out, of, you know, to the degree where it's like, you know, you're hanging your ass out there in a way, you know, in the deep south like that, you know, and oh, yeah. goading people onto those heights, you know, because, I mean, you look at, like, what's happened you know i mean all the way back to like john lennon you know what i mean mm-hmm. where it's like hey man we're just playing some music you know or what was the uh the the radio guy uh in where was it was it in dallas oh denver or in oh, denver, denver. in denver alan, alan berg yeah yeah him, yeah you know and they're you know the guy and then with the bogosian made a movie about it you know well you got this stuff going on in pakistan right now constantly with these people that are speaking out for you know atheism essentially right. and they're getting murdered they're getting murdered constantly yeah. yeah it's been there's a bunch of them these women that are just like yeah you know they set up there's one that set up like a bookstore or a bookstore cafe or something and was just openly talking about atheism and how you didn't necessarily have to be part of islam and you know the murdered Murdered over yeah, it. Yeah. Well, and you know, I mean, this that's just going on right now. It does, you know, it's always gone on in a way. I mean, if people are willing to throw bottles at somebody in a wheelchair, you mm-hmm. know, because they, they don't like his comedy, you know what I, I mean? Know. It's just like, know. you know, they've already paid money to be there. <laughs> they've come to a comedy show, you know, it's like you can't get your head around and how that. How many times, like, do I walk into fucking Albertsons to buy groceries and there's this horrible. Nickelback or something playing on the radio and, and I just like I want to fucking walk out of this store because this music is crushing my spirit it's so so offensive <laughs> right, right. on every level it's so slick and disgusting and you know I just buy my groceries and leave I don't turn over the fucking uh, avocado cart you know <laughs> right. what I mean I don't sweep the fucking shelf of Perrier onto the floor and have a fucking tantrum or bad movies that I go to I just walk out and say well you know Wasted another fourteen dollars, but these fucking people can't just let it be. You no, they're, know? Al- they're already they're paid to go to a comedy show. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? oh, it's yeah. just like you're paid to be there. You know. I mean, I yeah. I mean, it. if you go to a concert and there's a comedian and you don't like it, it's still like you're giving your ears a rest. You know. Right. The thing is, if you go see ACDC and they've got two really bad hard rock bands on first, then your ears are shot by the time they get on. You know, and you're not going to enjoy it as much. You'd be better off with a comedian just kind of sitting there and, and waiting to have the fucking loud music come on, right? Definitely. Well, one of my favorite opening acts, I was just reminded of, uh, back in the like late 60s, I went and saw the Harlem Globetrotters mm-hmm. at the Coliseum in Phoenix. You know, that's a bitching building. That's still there. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw the, Sister Sledge there. Sister Sledge, Sister awesome. Sledge. With, uh, nice. oh, fuck. Did they do their one big hit? We Are Family? Yeah. Oh, with Cool and the Gang. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, they, they, they did, uh, they did, well, they did We Are Family. They had one other one, too, didn't they? Sister Sledge. We'll, we'll get our. Uh... Did. Well, anyway, who cares? <laughs> so, 
So we'll look, we'll, we'll look that up. Whereas we'll Cool and the gang was cranking out the hits. Yeah. So sure. the uh, the Harlem Globetrotters, you know, and the, I mean, there's there's fake stuff, you know. I mean, the, you know, the <laughs> like the Washington Senators, wasn't that the team? Washington Generals. They're the Generals, and they're like uh, the losing his team in sports team he- in history. history. They lost that night, but the opening <laughs> the opening act out in the middle, right? It's the the you know, Coliseum set up for basketball, you know, and it's a big, pretty big Coliseum, you know, and out in the middle of it. Uh, of the basketball floor, they set this like platform, you know, kind of carpeted, and they had a contortionist as their opening act. Wow, you know? it was fucking awesome. It was awesome. It was this guy out there, like the kind of guys that can twist themselves around to the degree. Right. It's like you know, hey, you could make some, you know, make some money doing that, and you know, and that was their opening act. But it's just like on a platform with all this space around. All this on. huge amount of space. <laughs> You know, just, you know, 50 feet, you know, at least away from the, the people who are all in the stands, you know, back there. And there's this guy out there, like, just doing his contortion That's thing. And there, there might have been music put to it or, you know, maybe even not. But, but I mean, I definitely, you know, we experienced our fair share of, of like, that that hostility. Oh, know? yeah. I'm sure when you'd come down here and do shows with these SST bands and things, you, you must know, have got some. We played with Flag a lot. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and we would get those punk rock shows. And even at, like arty kind of shows we you know get it you know and like uh just and it's like all fun and games to a point you know i remember one night playing at the mabuhai talking about the clubs up on, on mm-hmm. broadway in san francisco and it was back when it would just be like suddenly it's starting to turn you know and it's just like hey fuck you guys i didn't get into fucking playing music you know <laughs> to be policed by you know you douchebags that's you know and uh i remember like it happened in a split second, but it was like slow motion where I like was had my mouth open, screeching away at the microphone, and I see this guy's head come up and thoosh, he hawks this loogie, and the fucking thing I you see it coming and boom, it hit me right in the back of the throat. It was just fuck. putrid, right? Where I like, kind of saw it and I'm like, ah, oh, motherfucker. Just <laughs> nothing to do except throw up. At oh, that point. It was nasty, nasty, you know, and and but definitely. You, you were a trooper and kept playing, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. The one time I didn't keep playing, we were playing up in Vancouver one time. This was like our own show, right? And, uh, you know, the lights are kind of in your face, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you can't really co- quite see the crowd, like, clearly or anything. But, you know, we're playing away, uh, and all of a sudden, just wham, I get this, like, this uh, pain in my leg. It's, like, pretty fucking bad, right? And I look down and realize somebody to take one of those big beer steins or the beer oh, yeah, things that yeah. they have with the heavy glass base on them, you know what I mean? Pretty heavy piece of thing. And then from just like, you know, five feet away, just fucking slammed it into my fucking shin. And I still got this bump there from where it happened, still. right? Still. Yeah. You know, it just made this like thing on my leg, you know, and I heard like fuck, right? And back then I was just like, motherfucker, right? And, you know, by then I'd done enough punk rock shows to where I was like, oh, go ahead, come up here, you know, and fucking catch my guitar in your fucking mouth, you know, you want to, you know, inject yourself into the situation that much. So I, I, I'm like, God damn, it really hurt, you know? And and then I see somebody kind of weaving their way back through the crowd, and I realize that's who did it, right? So I dump my guitar off, jump off the stage, plow through the crowd, you know, in in, in pursuit of this, this uh, of the perp, right? And then I get a catch up to him, and I'm just like, wham, right? And I fucking attack him. And, and I'm like, wow, they're they're going down pretty easy. I'm really I'm getting the best of this, you know, the better. Uh-oh. And then I turned out to be a girl, you know. <laughs> and I was just like, fuck you, what the fuck did you do that for? That was shocking. That was a good one. <laughs> that was a good one. We were playing with Black Flag again, right? This is in <laughs> Vegas, you know. And uh, it was like at one of those punker gigs where somebody's rented a hall. There's no security, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. just like, just is what it is. And Flag, 
got a lot of, you know, a, a lot of the punker people in at their gigs. And this dude's standing there the whole night, or during our whole set, just flipping us off. He's kind of this big cholo punker, you know, and he's pretty swole up. You know, remember how Kurt and I were pretty fucking scrawny, you know, but, you know, feisty. Whatever. So the guy just keeps like, you know, hey, fuck you, you know, Lugan, and fuck you, just standing there the whole time. So at one point, it was pretty classic. I thought it was pretty clever of Kurt. He, he, Kurt takes a roll of duct tape and pulled out about a, a two-foot strip of the stuff while it's still on the roll. And the guy kind of looks away for a second or something. Kurt just managed to catch him and went, Voit! and taped it around his face, right? <laughs> and he had a cigarette in his mouth at the time, so the <laughs> cigarette like got taped to the dude's face. Right? <laughs> So it was just like, eh, that's clever as fuck, you know? And, uh, and the guy, like, peels the thing off and whips it at Kurt real heavily, you know, missed him. But then came up on stage to the degree that we're like, hey, fuck you, man. You know, we had guitars on. It's like, you know, go ahead, man. There's two yeah, of us. Yeah. You know, you're going to get clocked real good. And we kind of ran him back down off the stage. And then we tried to play a little bit more. And then he came back and kind of ran him back down, you know. And finally, like, the third time or something, we're just like, fuck it, you know? Uh, here's, here's the payback that, I don't know, touring with Black Flag, you know, it was, there's just, especially when, when Henry joined the band, right? There was that, uh, a different element. This is, happened, we were playing in San Diego. I've told this story plenty of times because it was just one of those things where you're like, man, I, you know, you know, I wish I was a little bit brawny or, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean, yeah. or something. Henry was pretty swole up, you know, and, he's, and he was, not only that, but he was athletic and just, you know, he was Henry, right? So Henry Rollins. And it's after the show, and me and Henry and Joe Carducci, dude that worked with SST, you know, who's also kind of a skinny, you know, glasses wearing kind of guy like I was, you know, or am still or whatever. Uh, and Henry talking out in the parking lot. And from across the parking lot, this kid goes, Roland, you fucking sell out, you know, kind of a thing, right? Because those guys got a lot of that, you know, your sellout kind of crap. Rollins goes, excuse me. <laughs> Just classic, right? And like, and then bolted across the parking lot at this dude. Smashes him on the asphalt, right? Just like, <laughs> oh, you know, where you like, yeah, you felt that. And he goes, you got something to say? Say it to my face, you know? Just, and then he comes back to us and he goes, I hate it when that happens. <laughs> it was awesome, right? Just going, fuck, I'm going to start lifting weights, you know, because Henry, like, worked out a lot, you know, he was in good shape, you know? But it was just like, oh, that was a nice little bit of payback. <laughs> you know? And then the, those guys took it far enough. You remember the Nig Heist? Oh, yeah. You know? I saw I saw them in, at Madison Square Garden in Phoenix. Yeah, at the garden. Oh, they stayed at our house that night, you know? Everybody was staying over at our pad <laughs> that night. And, uh... You know, the heist, we were talking about them earlier. Yeah. Jackson's high, by the way, because we just had the Hayden sisters. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I was telling them about, you know, a little bit about, like, the Nig heist. Uh -huh. and I how Mugger would take know, his crap. Did they and know of up. the Nig heist? No, not, I don't think they were that familiar with it. They're a little bit more. Yeah, that show blew me away. That was another one. No, that's just. It's just like, wow, these guys really, really don't care. Ooh. Oh, no, what anyone thinks. No, no. And, that, and they would just, I mean, it was just like they put a knife in and just twisted. There's just so many of these humorless fucking kids totally. got into that music at that time, oh, you know? Awful. It went from, I don't know, being like a legitimate, interesting type of music for misfits to just all the jocks and all the fucking people I hated are, are there. And it's down and to like guys the way like that have no, no other thing to do except fuck with them, you know? And it's down to like the way you dress, shit that was just like, no, that's why I'm got it, you know, I'm not, you know, that's why I got into fucking playing music, you know, it's just yeah. like, no, this is the realm of my imagination, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, your fucking imagination or your constraints in any fucking way, you know, so it was satisfying to see those dudes yeah, and have the muscle, you know what I mean, to back mm -hmm. it up and the fucking like, the, the, 
the bedoinky doink power, you know, a little, <laughs> little bit of fucking payback, you know. Because, I mean, you see some fucking douchebag, next thing you know, comes up and actually shoots John Lennon. Give me a fucking break, you know mm. what I mean? Guy who's only sung about love and, you know, like, and, you know, and, you know, just ghastly shit, you know. Just fuck some fucking retard, so. Yeah. Well, yeah. I saw in Phoenix or at, uh, in Tempe at ASU. Is that right? Um, oh, go ahead. oh yeah, I saw in uh, in I guess it was probably 1981. I saw the Who, the you know who I loved. That was like, you know, if you're fucking 12 years old, that's like the predecessor to punk rock and yeah. listening to the Who. And um, so they came to Sun Devil Stadium to, you know, on that shitty uh, Face Dances tour, and the opening acts were uh, Loverboy and John Cougar later to be known as John Cougar Mellencamp. Mm-hmm. And fucking John Cougar goes up first, and he sings uh, a couple of his hits, Jack and Diane, whatever. And somebody there, back in the day, I guess you could bring these things to the fucking stadium, but somebody throws a bottle at him, like a you know whiskey bottle or something, hits him in the fucking head, splits his head open, and he's singing the song, you hear the thing hit him, at Sun Devil Stadium, you know, and then and then his, you saw his whole head go red as the blood just went Jesus. down his face, and these people dragged him off the stage in the middle of the song, and then an announcement comes on the loudspeaker, you know, coming up next, Lover Boy. You know, it's like, <laughs> what the fuck did I just see? Right. And so, so I'm I'm like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life, you know, um, and then. Oh, like five or ten minutes later, John Cougar comes back on stage, and his head is all bandaged like a mummy, just totally covered in gauze, but you can still see some blood seeping through. And he grabs the microphone, and he's like, you pussy, faggot, cock-sucking little piece of shit. You come up here, I'll fucking kill you. And he just goes on this insane rant. It was amazing. It was so fucking amazing. And then the band camp comes out, and then they did Hurt So Good, you know, which was his other his other single and an wow. appro- appropriate closer. But ever since then, you know, no matter how many bad records he makes or no matter how many shitty things you hear about that guy, I always have a certain fondness for him, you know, because right. it was, like, so intense. It was such a great... Right. I, I wouldn't call it a performance, but it was certainly interesting. Right. Uh, and at the stadium like that i mean the bottle had some loft to it you know yeah, I mean? yeah. shut the fucking thing i, I i'm reminded of uh uh like 75 or something you know that movie um a star is born the remake oh, of yeah, the star yeah. is born. It's, it's filmed at sun devil stadium it's filmed at sun devil Were stadium you there yeah yeah oh, and, and it's, it's barbara streisand and chris christopherson it's that remake you were you know? there when they filmed that yeah yeah and just, nice. it was like 6 a.m to like it all three day in the festival, afternoon yeah you know and uh they had uh, Peter Frampton played. Mm-hmm. Right? Graham Central Station was there. There was, some, you know, Oa, Jesse Colin Young, I think. You know, just big acts of the day. And, you know, it's a big-ass fucking crowd, right? And then at one point, like, when the right light's perfect and whatnot, they start to do the filming for the movie. You know, they put on this really cheap concert. It was like five bucks or something to get in. Okay. You know, so they Because they're basically... It. Getting extras for yeah. cheap, yeah. you know, by throwing right. this big concert, you know, right, right. And Frampton was fucking huge, you know, for multiple scenes too. Because in the movie, all the big concert scenes just keep like as their lives change or whatever, they still keep going there and doing concerts. So right. it's like all shot in one day, obviously, yeah. they're yeah. changing their clothes and shit. So it must have been a long day. It was a long day, and uh, and at one point, you know, I'm, 
the crowd started to kind of get sick of the whole process, you know, mm-hmm. of the, the retakes, right. you know what I mean? This kind of shit. And so they started like booing, right? You know, it can, like you said, a few guys started or whatever, then the crowd mentality takes over, right? And, and I didn't give a fuck, you know? I was just like, I wasn't booing, you know? I mean, I was like fucking teenager. And, but what happened next was uh, stuck with me, you know? And it was just kind of like, wow, one person, you know, facing down a crowd like this, right? They got a lot on the line. They're making a, a movie, you know, and whatnot. So all of a sudden, as the crowd has obviously figured out, we can boo during their shoots, you know? You know, we can fuck with these people. And suddenly it got like tens of thousands of people fucking with this, the film crew who are on stage, you know, Streisand and Bob mm-hmm. Redford, you know what I mean? And fucking Barbara Streisand gets a hold of the microphone and just told off the whole crowd. Really? It was incredible, right? She's just like, look, and I don't think she was like profane. I don't think, you know, she's maybe, maybe she, maybe she, you know, God damn it or something, you know, something in there, but, but very forcefully told everybody, look, I put on this concert so you guys can come here and enjoy this music. And if you think you're going to ruin my film shoot, you're wrong. And it's like, you know, <laughs> she, she just, you know, the force of her personality, you know, just like told everybody to, to knock it off. And they did. Huh. You know? Like a tape so. of that. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fucking good. They should have put that in the flick. Jeez, that is a stinker fucking movie, too. <laughs> I, I mean, I just watched it maybe six months ago. Hey, that was my film debut. <laughs> I didn't see you. I was looking. I was waving there's, at you. There's no chemistry between those two No, it's not. All. it's not a good movie. And it's, no, no, no. Oddly enough, they've tried to remake A Star is Born several times, and it's always terrible. That one just, like, you can tell Christofferson's drunk and sorry that he did this. But. And, you can, and you can tell, and if you listen, I can't believe this, but I, w- I watched it. I listened to the fucking director's commentary, or, but it's not a director's commentary. It's her basically talking as if she directed the film. And then you read about it, <laughs> and you find out that the director was like, I'll never work with her again. She was a nightmare. She hired me to be the director, and then she just wanted to direct the film. And you Wasn't know what like, I mean? Was it Herbert Ross? I don't remember who it was. Huh. I don't know, but whatever. It it, it sounds like a disaster. Um, I mean, the, the, you know, to be there. She was. She, it was a fun show. It was yeah. a fun show. I had recently discovered White Crosses. You know what I mean? No. Which is their speed, right? Oh, you know? Okay. So I don't know anything about that. No, oh, it was great speed back. You cro- know, like cro- cross tops and quaaludes. They don't make either one of them anymore. Nah, no, no. Both of great buzz. So it's a poor man's speedball, is what it is. Mm-hmm. Ooh, fucking quaaludes. But I love those little white crosses. I well, eat those amazing. like candy. It was, I'll tell you, I happen to know this. What it used to be like is you'd take a handful of these things and you could take like, drink it with Coke or whatever. And it was like somebody sawed off the top of your cranium so that the wind would whip over your mm-hmm. cerebellum. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Sounds like they should have been recalled by the FDA. It's a little bit like that. But it was kind of a great feeling back in the day. And then they made them illegal. So I was on a fistful of those <laughs> at that show. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, and uh, here's what I remember: there was a, there was this young woman next to me, who had on like coconut body oil. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know, surrounded by the in the midst of this coconut body oil forest, you know, and and this, this girl had real short shorts on, and right like where her pubes would have been, there was a little uh, cutout in these shorts. And then the edges of it had been embroidered, right? So it was like this purposeful thing that she did, you know, because she had some body modification. And this was back, you know, 
tattoos weren't as popular. This drug clearly improves your memory also. <laughs> oh, this stuck with me. This stuck with me. Because right there, she had three little cherries uh-huh. tattooed like, right on her, oh, really? on her pubis, if you will, right? And then had, had custom had her pants cut out, you know, so that they, it was like tied up against their... Uh, so the whole show, I'd be like, oh boy, oh, coconut, coconut wonderland of, you know. Damn, that seems like something they need to show on the big screen again so we can, <laughs> like we can all suss her see out. That. So actually, um, uh, Prairie Prince told me this incredible story about that the tubes were moving from Phoenix to San Francisco and, and it was like, or I don't know if they were moving or they were going, I think they were moving. But it was a weekend of the fucking Altamont Festival. Ah. And so they they went to the fucking show, you know. And all that shit went down and everybody left in a hurry. And it was just hell on earth, you know. Yeah, you know. And, and, that... and but, the, but Prairie was there. But he said that they'd moved out with this dog that they had in Phoenix. And, that you know, they had all their stuff. They'd moved out. They're there at Altamont watching the stones and all this, and then hell breaks loose and everybody's fucking running. And I don't know what happened, but hell broke. Well, I know what happened, but everything went a little crazy and they lost the dog. They couldn't find the dog. The Ah. dog disappeared in the crowd and they never saw the dog again until that Give Me Shelter movie came out and they're watching the movie. And here's this scene where it's just like fucking close up of the dog in the the movie. Like, there's our fucking dog. Nice. <laughs> well, that's a good example of it there, of like the crowd, the, the relationship between the performer and the fucking crowd. Seriously. And you see that thing where like, you see in that movie, the Males Brothers, is that, yeah, that you know? Yeah, the Males, yeah. And uh, uh, you see like Keith Richards trying to, you know, if they don't get off the stage, I'm not going to play or something. He says something like that, you know, you see him trying to exert his power or, you know, his authority in the situation where it's like his stage, it's their show, you know what I mean? And you see these fucking angels just looking at him like, you know, there's a skinny little English guy who's about to get his fucking noodle busted, you know, and like some pretty fucking creepy, weird kind of shit, you know. I was looking at the Hells Angels website with my friend the other day when we were on tour um, to pass the time. <laughs> uh, we were talking about the Hells Angels and, and, and the shit that went down in Waco the other day with, with those biker gangs. But um, anyway... My friend Tim looked at the website and, and was reading it. There's an FAQ, and, it, and it's all along the lines of, uh, how can I join the Hells Angels? And the answer is, if you have to, if you have to ask that, you're probably not angels material. You know, like, right. How can I get involved? <laughs> if you don't know already, you know, there's no hope for you. And you're just supposed to be this FAQ answering questions, but <laughs> right. it's all just like, if you don't know already, fuck off. If you're off. reading this, go yeah. fuck yourself. <laughs> Or you wonder, like, why do these guys even have a fucking website, really? It's just kind of odd that they have a website. But, you know. Maybe to sell merch. They're they're a charity organization. uh, That's right. You know. So. Fuck it. Fuck it. Shit chucked at you. On stage. I don't know. It's not the best. It's not ideal. No. It it grows old, especially getting beaned with heavy stuff, so. So now yeah. what's up, what's up now? Now you do shows, you know, and you've been doing shows for a while. Yeah, with the Neil Hamburger stuff. Yeah, I mean, I you know I've got a I got a kid at home, so I don't tend to go out for long mm-hmm. runs. I tend to go out for little weekend three three night jaunts here and there. And uh, we just did, we did go to Australia and did the uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival, which was really fun because cool. at those kind of festivals, you're booked into a room and you're doing like twenty five nights. Wow. Know? 
and it's 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 really interesting to uh, play the same room that many nights in a row. It, yeah. It's it's really good for you in terms of um, you get. I mean, you're doing an hour of talking, and if you're playing the same room, it, you know it could start to blend together. And I guess that's what they do in Vegas. But those folks like it blending together because they want to, you know, it's it's they want the the show to be uniform from night to night. But for me, doing shows in the same room every night, I just start getting disgusted with the sound of my own voice doing the same jokes to what feels like the same right. place. And so that many nights is just the best for, for the show turning over and going into all these new directions and just weird shit going down just because I'm willing it to go down right. out of boredom. So that's that was a longer run that I did recently. But um, we did this... Uh, shot this movie last year that we're super excited about that's coming out this year it's coming actually out that's what i was doing that, at that was sundance, sundance when i ran into you yeah uh-huh. as we were premiering it at sundance oh cool and we had the premiere party across the street from where you guys were playing and then jack texts me and he's like did you know the meat puppets are playing in five minutes and i was like fuck i mean i was in costume i just performed i'm like i gotta get over there so i fucking ran over in costume you know and then it, Jack whisks me in right at the last second, you know, and you guys just started the fucking show, and it was like, how can this be happening? This is amazing. <laughs> After all these years. Yeah. Have you seen that picture of us? Yeah, yeah. That, I've that seen a couple. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That blue one. It, it's Petra Hayden. Mm-hmm. You in full drag or full uh, <laughs> full <laughs> kneel. Full kneel. And Jack and I. And that's a fucking... It's like uh, that million-dollar quartet picture with Elvis. Right, and, and I'm Jerry doing Johnny Cash. I'm doing Johnny Cash. I'm flipping a bird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, that was wild. What a fucking... What a scene. Yeah, that was goofball. That was it, you fun. Know, it's just that power of celebrity kind of weirdness. I mean, there's a lot... You know, there's the entertainment, you know, but then uh, see people, like, get all... Like, they're out, like, looking for stars to look at or whatever. Well, I just thought it was, I mean, because I had such a long history with you guys. I mean, I remember hearing those Meat Puppets 2 songs before the record, you know, ages before when they were like new songs in the set. Like, whoa, what's this song, you know? And and then to have like, really having a movie, your your movie premiere at Sundance is pretty fucking exciting. So to have that going on, we're having our premiere party and then run over and it's you guys playing, (laughs) playing this thing. It kind of blew my mind. And so it, it was really exciting to jump up on stage and, and fucking sing. It just felt like the, the right thing to do. But afterwards, I was thinking, geez, is this what, I mean, I had so much fun. It felt like the funnest time ever. I'm like, for the audience, is this what it was like when I would see these horrible jams at the Grammys or whatever? Where all these <laughs> fuckers get up and they're all jamming on Johnny Be Good and you're just sitting there going, shut up. Just be good. Play, a fuck, play the song I want to hear the way, I don't want to hear this. I want to hear this 12 minute version of this <laughs> fucking shit. No, it doesn't sound like there were, those Those usually have 47 guitar players. Yeah, I don't think it was like that, but you, oh, no, you got to no. have your radar out to make sure you never take part like in something like that. Like I give that. a fuck, you know, I mean, that was so fun, you know what I mean? <laughs> it I mean, was really fun. What's the point of doing this if not to have that kind of fun? And the, you know, well, That's exciting. what the Doobie Brothers say when yeah. they when they drag Fleetwood Mac and uh, those guys on stage, you know what I'm saying? Right. But no, I'm, I'm not, I, I loved it. Yeah, no, so did I. I mean, the I love photos make me giddy to see. It's uh, like, hilarious, you know. Yeah. And I love that you've gone on to do what you've done. You know what I mean? Like, just it's fun. We've done this for so long. You know, mm-hmm. Me Puppets has been around for a fucking while, right? And and so I've known people like you through my whole adulthood. You know, and uh, 
to see what you've gone on to do was really fucking neat, you know? So a night like that, no, it's great. Now, I'm glad you had on the fucking, you know, the, oh, yeah. the Neil it look. Just, it all felt you know? cosmic, right? Yeah. That it all <laughs> oh, came it's together. Totally cosmic, you know? I mean, it was cosmic to have, you know, because I don't know Jack Black, you know, except as a, um, you know, through his movies and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Tenacious D and stuff. And then it turns out, I hear, hear, like, he's talking to Kurt and Elmo, and he's, like, sitting there singing one of our songs at Kurt, you know, it's like, what the fuck, you know, to, like... He knows his stuff, man, and you know, he's he also, like, the nicest, us, you know? best guy in the And he turns out whole to be this business. really sweet dude, you yeah. know, and the next thing you know, it's just he's like, such fuck, a yeah. genuine, great, hilarious... And, and funny, you know? So funny, you know? So, when the cameras aren't rolling, I mean, he's fucking funny. And, uh... So he took you out for a lot of stuff. How about this? What, what about those Tim and Eric guys? Let's just talk about that. Oh, yeah, for a that's well. Yeah, I just just came back from uh, Cincinnati and uh, Bloomington. Tim and I were out there doing some shows uh, on the weekend. He does, he does like a solo thing. Yeah, yeah. He's got like a stand-up character. I mean, it's it's you know it's a weird character. It's a variant on on. Well, I wouldn't say on himself, but it's just like a kind of a clueless right wing asshole comedian that he does right he's maybe got a little more confidence than he should have considering the lack of material that he has you know? that's awesome it kind of works well with neil hamburger i think because in neil hamburger there's a there's a lack of confidence you know and and with this there's with his thing there's an overconfidence you right. know um and so yeah we, you know he, he's super busy he's got a million irons in the fire and but he does like to go out occasionally and do some do, do some shows so you know, we look at the map and pick some, and off we go. We're going to uh, Fargo in August, awesome. Minneapolis. You know, yeah, I uh, played Fargo a few times. Yeah, it's, it's I've been there too. It's good. Yeah. That place, the Aquarium. You must have played there. Like it's upstairs at some kind of like Irish pub. I, th- I think I did play there maybe the last time. Like that Irish pub drag. kind of thing. Yeah, it's on the side of the street that the the lake is on. I don't remember a lake. How did I miss the lake? Oh, no, Fargo. I'm thinking of Duluth. <laughs> oh, Duluth. Okay. It's that big fucking lake. How did I miss the lake? There's I'm a like, river. Hey. Yeah. Oh, Fargo. No. Oh, is it upstairs? I remember. It's they like around right that strip, that kind of like, like the, the one little kind of... There's like a theater. Gentrified. And then, yeah, 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 yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I so many times I'm on tour, I see posters for you guys coming through soon afterwards, you know? Because I play music venues rather than comedy clubs for the most part, because I right. just... That's the world I know, you right. know, and and uh, I'm always like, oh yeah, these. I was like, think I should leave a piece of graffiti on the wall here in the green room. Maybe they'll see it, but there's usually so much on the wall that you'd, it would be like finding a needle in a haystack. I, I try to make a point to read everything on every wall. <laughs> <laughs> Just looking for you, but they but cover it with stickers. You like me? They cover it with stickers so quickly that even if I left do, a heartfelt those... message. How do those rooms get like that? You know what I mean? You see the the places that people get up to to write shit, you know? They I actually, told this. They actually have interior decorators. That, <laughs> they do that? They're, they're all fake that. bands. Yeah, they're all fake bands. No, I told this fucking venue in Portland that they built this beautiful green room, and it was just the nicest. They had this nice couch, and they had a fridge, and every, it, was, it was very comfortable. No stickers, no writing, you know? And, and they had just completed. And I said, look, you need to have a policy where anybody that puts a sticker or writes on the wall is banned from the club forever because otherwise 
this place is going to be a shit room like all of these. And this fucking couch is going to have knife punctures in it and it, people will have pissed on it. Pee-pee. Stickers in the fucking toilet bowl and all this stuff. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And then I come back six months later and it just was like CBGBs, you know, just, just as shitty as ever. And it was it could have been such a nice place. I was like, I don't even want to sit on the fucking couch. And it hasn't been very long. CBs was pretty fucking insane. I, I was doing a show there with, with a band I had and somebody... Um, we had a, like a table on stage because we had some props and I, I pushed it off the stage and then somebody in the audience took the table, wasn't a very big table, but took it and threw it on the stage and it hit the floor of the stage and like the, the wood paneling on the floor cracked or whatever. And I swear to God, a hundred fucking cockroaches came swarming Ooh. out of this crack and like the whole... The floor of the stage was just like alive uh, from this table. Yeah, yeah, from hitting the fucking they, thing they, with a table. Just right. <laughs> did they take those cockroaches to Vegas? <laughs> yeah, I wish. Oh, they moved CBGBs to Vegas. Did they have a CBGBs? I don't think the original. The original one's closed, but there's one in Vegas. It's just a brand name like Hollister yeah. or Abercrombie and Fitch at this point, you know. But yeah, I don't know what goes on there. That place is crusty. It sucked. It's crusty. I remember, huh? Uh, I was just one time we we did our uh, we got signed to a major label, you know, talk about yeah, work yeah. and business and having done this all these years, you know, and at a particular point suddenly we're, you know, the kind of the way we dress or something is suddenly in vogue, you know what I mean? And we wind up on a major label and we're doing it, we're playing at CBS, and uh, just our fucking luck, just the way you know the shit can go. And uh, it was for the label staff and all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So the big wigs are there and everybody's there and we're gonna you know come out and wow everybody with our saleability or what the fuck ever and as we walk out on stage remember that they didn't have bottles of water didn't? so it's like one of those nights where you got pitchers sitting next to shit and as we walk on stage Kirk kicks this fucking pitcher over accidentally into his pedal board right so it's like ladies and gentlemen we're really proud to have this new act blah, 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 the meat puppets clonk <laughs> you know it's like sitting there fucking around where you're sitting there just going dear god dear god please please someone beam me with a fucking bottle <laughs> <laughs> well, fuck it. Is that a is that a podcast? That's a podcast. What's the name it's of the movie, been... Greg? Oh, yeah. uh, Entertainment. Entertainment. And, um, When's it coming out? Yeah, Rick Alverson and uh, directed it, and Rick and Tim Heidecker. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all wrote it, and it's coming out. I don't know, October or something. Magnolia Pictures. Oh, oh, that's nice. so fucking cool. John C. Riley, Michael Sarah, Annabella Lewin from Bow Wow Wow's in it. Oh. We, we got a great cast. Ty Sheridan, who's like fucking most amazing young actor plays my opening act and uh i don't know oh, i can't if you wait you got a chance you know oh i can't check wait check it out yeah we're everybody, excited what's uh, up everybody go out and see it well you know if you think it might be to your taste perhaps it may be and see people out in the audience throwing like fucking shit at the screen <laughs> it's a it's a it's Screaming a, it's a fucking movie. grim art film it's not a comedy so there may be some people even that are fans of mine that end up throwing their tub of popcorn at the screen and storming out in disgust 10 minutes in. Hey, the best comedy is grim art house. That's what I think, but... The Brothers Grimm. I always thought Eraserhead was one of the best comedies ever made. That's some funny-ass shit. (laughs) I I laughed. I I laughed laughed hysterically. I laughed, I cried, I laughed again. Exactly. Fuck it. Well, bitchin', man, I look forward to seeing the movie. And uh, what a treat, what a treat. Thanks for coming down. It's nice talking to you. Yeah, definitely catching up on... Memories. <laughs> you think you're gonna wreck this podcast? God damn it! <laughs> right on. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Today's show was recorded 
at Winslow Court Studios in Hollywood, California.
Yes. Why don't you meet me there at 7 o'clock? I'll buy you a fucking burrito. And then I'll fucking punch your stomach and watch your burrito fly out my own face. And then I'll kick your fucking head in. And then I'm going to play some bass licks on your grave. You are witty. You are shitty. <laughs> fucking jerk. All right, so hey, let's just let bygones be guards. Do you want to fight or do you want me in your band? No, I just don't want you to call here again. Oh, you don't want me to call here? Oh, well then take your fucking ad out of the paper. Wait, Dumb shit. But there is no ad in the paper. Oh, that's not true. You want to go to court over that one, you fucking dumb shit? It's right here in the paper. Basis needed, asshole. What, what paper is this? The fucking paper I'm going to wipe my ass with as soon as I get off the phone. Okay, that's fine, but what, what paper is that? I don't know. The weekly. And it's, what, what issue is it? The, today's, the issue they just put out today, Matt. Why do you care? Let's fight. <laughs> What's your band called? Oh, you're not going to tell me. Oh. Why? why? Why should I? Because I'm in your band. You can't escape me. I'm in your fucking band. I already joined. Okay. I'm your drummer. This is a joke! <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm your bass player, though. Come on, man. Give me a chance. Don't you, want, you don't want someone with a distinct personality. You just want to have one of these generic, boring, new wave bands, right? Yeah, we're new wave, all right. But tonight and... And introduce yourself, and then we can... We can f... We, no, I don't want to talk to you. You suck. I want to fight you. Okay, well, like I said... Well, meet me at the Chabella Burrito place. Uh, I think... What? No. I'm going to come see your band, and I'm going to take over. So fuck you. Okay, thank you. Goodbye.